want us to be aware of where our culture is at, our, our Christian culture, if you will, when it comes to spending time in the Word of God. If you weren't here last week, we introduced a reading plan, just a three-week, 21-day reading plan. Um, if you missed out on it, we have it available for you out at the Connection Center. I highly encourage you to grab one um, and, and jump on with us. If you missed the first week, or maybe you were here last week and you just forgot, uh, you didn't get started, man. Just You can jump right in. Join us today with Philippians chapter 3 and 4, um, or you can go back and start from the beginning, whichever way you prefer. Um, but man, it, it's going to encourage you. It's going to bless you. But here's the statistics. Here's the reality, um, not just of Christians, because in America, about 80% of Americans call themselves Christians. So we're going to narrow that pool down, not just to people who call themselves Christians, but actually to people who attend church regularly. These are church-going Christians. Now, we can't of course, pretend that all of these people actually know Jesus. That would be foolish. We know there are many people in churches who don't know Jesus. There are probably many people in city church who have not yet met Jesus. But at least we can narrow the pool down to these are people who take their faith serious enough that they are regularly in church. So of Christians who are regularly in church, here's the statistics when it comes to reading the Word of God. 19% of us read the Bible every day. Right around one-fifth of us read the Bible every day. Uh, so that's honestly probably higher than I would have guessed. That's a good, that's a good stat. That's good news that 19% of us read the Bible every day. We need to get higher, uh, but, but that's a good start. 25% of us read the Bible a few times a week. So, man, we, maybe we're, we're slacking a couple days a week, three days a week, but, but three, four times a week we've opened the Bible. We're in the Word of God a few times a week, uh, 25% of us. 14% uh, of us read the Bible once a week. Not a real good place to be. In fact, the majority of those 14% that are day is Sunday. Hey, Sunday I give to the Lord, Sunday I open the book. Uh, but otherwise, I don't have any time for God. That's not a good place to be. If you're in that 14% today, can I just say to you very lovingly and, and very directly, God's got something better for you. Man, God's got a better place for you. God wants to share something with you more often than that. I'm not here to, to condemn you or to put you down, but I am here to say that God wants something more for you than just opening his word once a week. So that's 14%. Then we get to the 22% that read the Bible once to a few times a month. So even less than once a week, we have 22%. Again, if you're in that 22% that you open the Bible once or twice a month, I love you. Man, I know God has a plan and a purpose for you. He's got something better for you than where you're at right now. He just does, uh, and I want to help you to discover that. And finally, we get to the, the most depressing stat of all. 18% of Christians rarely or never open the Bible at all. 18% of church-going Christians rarely or never open the Bible at all. And, of course, this isn't a problem of access. We have the Bible more readily available than any generation in history, than any language in history. We have the Bible all around us. So, so it's not that people don't have the Bible. It's that for whatever reason, we don't prioritize, we don't set aside the time to open the book and read the Bible. So what we said last week and, and what I'm so passionate about is we're not going to settle for average. Um, I, I think here at City Church, we have some really, really strong suits. Uh, one of the things that I love about this church is I've never been around a group that, that was less judgmental. I've never been a, around a group that, that loves people as much as this church does. I've never seen a, a church that loves their city and wants to serve their city as much as this church does. Those are things that I'm very proud of when it comes to City Church. But if you were to transition over to this topic of, of how much are we in the Bible as your pastor, I, I would have to be very honest and say I don't think we're above average in this area. I don't think we, we shine in this area like we do in some. 
Uh, and I believe that God not only has something better for you, if you were in one of those three categories at the bottom, I believe God has something better for us. I believe God's got a greater call on our church. I believe God's got somewhere further he wants to take us. And the key for us to get where God wants us to go is we need to begin to open the book on a regular basis. Man, I, I want to see our people in one of those first two categories. Man, I want to see us all. Man, we're reading the Bible every day. But even if, if all of us were in either every day or, or you, quite a few times a week, man, what could God do in this city? What could God do through this church? It would be incredible. So we are not going to settle for average. We are gonna, we're not going to settle for less than God's best. We're going to continue to pursue it. We're going to continue to put reading plans out there. We're going to continue to tell you to read. We're going to continue to push this down because I know every time we do, somebody responds that, that wasn't reading before. Somebody takes that step and discovers the, the incredible gift that God's word truly is. So today we're, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's a very famous verse. I memorized this verse in eighth grade. Perhaps some of you memorized it when you were kids. But, but it says this. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. Everybody say God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful. It's not just a waste of time. It's not just... Something that we can say that we did, and man, whether you did or you didn't, it's not a big deal. God's word is useful, all of it. And it's useful, what? To, to teach me something. It's useful to, to, to rebuke me sometimes and say, you know what, Troy? God's got something better for you than that. You are out of line. Sometimes it's useful to correct me, to say, you know what? You're close, but you need to tweak this thing right here. I, I want to correct that. And sometimes it's useful to train me and say, you know what, you get it, but now I want to I begin to unleash you. I want to begin to call you to something deeper. I want to begin to use you in a different way. So all of God's word is God-breathed, and it's useful to teach, to rebuke, to correct, and to train in what? In righteousness. Now, when I memorized that verse, there was a period there. At least that's what I thought. It stopped right there, but it doesn't actually stop there. Paul's thought doesn't end at the end of verse 16, so we're going to go to verse 17. Why is God's word so useful to, to, to teach, to rebuke, to correct, and to train in righteousness? Well, this is why. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why does God want you in his word? Because you are a servant of God, right? When, he's, when Paul says the servant of God, he's not talking about pastors, He's not talking about missionaries. He's not talking about worship leaders or, or children's directors, although he is talking about them, but he's not talking about them exclusively. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are God's servant. And God has works for you to accomplish. God has something that he has set aside that nobody else is going to get done for his kingdom except for you. And, and sometimes we, we start to step into those works. We're like, man, I don't know what to do, God. I don't know how to handle this. I, I don't know where to go with this. Uh, and God says, man, I've got equipping for you. I've got the ability to prepare you for those good, good works, and it comes right here in the Word of God. So all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. So, so the first thing we see here is that the Word, this thing right here, the Bible, is actually the breath of God. It is God-breathed. He has breathed on it. And, and there's a great significance in Scripture to God's breath. It's not something that just happens coincidentally. It's not something that, that is mentioned often. But anytime it's mentioned, it, it has a great deep significance to it. For some of you, you, you probably already know these things. You maybe heard me talk about it before. Something I love, the idea of God's breath. For some, this will be brand new and, and perhaps uh, very, very uh, eye-opening for you. But the first time we see God breathe is in Genesis chapter 2, almost at the very beginning. 
man, in, at the very beginning of time and in the creation, we see God breathe for the first time. It happens in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. On day 6 of creation, it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. And he did what? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So God breathes. He takes some dust. He forms it. He shapes it into a man. And he breathes. And when the dust, the dirt, comes to life. What does that tell us? God's breath has the power of life in it. That when God breathes, there's life that comes with it. It's very significant. And, and know this. God could have done this any way that he wanted. He could have taken that dirt, and he could have spoken to the dirt, and it could have became a man. He could have taken that dirt, and he could have touched the dirt, and he became a man. He could have taken that dirt and just shaped the dirt, and as he shaped it, it became a man. God could have done this any single way he wanted to, yet he chose to do it. By breathing into Adam's nostrils. I think there's significance to that. I don't think that it was done by accident. I don't think it was by coincidence. I think God was trying to teach us something about the power of his breath. So Genesis chapter 2, the first man appears. God breathes, and the first man comes to life. So we see from that, very simply, God's breath is life. It carries in it life. Fast forward a few thousand years to John chapter 20. God has come to earth in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, part of the Trinity. The son of God walks on earth. Jesus dies, lives a sinless life for 33 years. He dies. He dies uh, a martyr's death. He's, he's nailed to a cross. He lays down his life for you and for me. Three days later, he's brought back to life. His disciples, these people who had followed him, are terrified for their own lives. They think they're going to die too. And so they're locked away in a hidden room. And man, just praying, God, don't let us die too. They're devastated. Their friend, their rabbi, their leader is dead. They watched him die this brutal death in front of their eyes. And in John chapter 20, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So Jesus just showed up in the middle of the room. They had the doors locked, and Jesus said, You don't think your locks can keep me out? He shows up in the middle of the room. He says, peace be with you. And then he says, after that, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I'm not a ghost. Here's my wounds. Here's my scars. Here, I had nails through this wrist. I had a spear through my side right here. This happened. You saw it. He shows them and says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I love that word, overjoyed. And in Luke chapter 2, we, we see the magi coming to Jesus. Uh, and the Magi come to Jesus from a far land, and it says they were overjoyed when they saw the star rest over him. Overjoyed, what a cool word. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, these are the 11 disciples. The, the 12th has, has fallen away by this point. Judas isn't there. He hasn't been replaced yet. It's 11 disciples, the closest followers of Jesus, and he's speaking to them specifically, but those 11 disciples are stand-ins for you and me. They are representatives of us, of those who would come later on, who would be disciples of Jesus, who would follow Jesus. And so what Jesus does to them physically and says to them in the, in the natural, he does to all of us in the spirit. And so he says, as the Father has sent me, just as the God sent me to earth, the Bible says that the, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, just like I came to seek and to save the lost, now I'm sending you to seek and to save the lost. The same way I was sent, now you are sent. And then he says, does this in verse 22. It says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What's happening here? This is the very first salvation. 
Up to this point in time, people could not receive salvation the way that we experience salvation on earth because Jesus hadn't paid the price for their sins yet. And so there was a holding area that the, the Old Testament saints went to. They went to a place called paradise. It wasn't heaven. They couldn't get into heaven. They couldn't get into God's presence until Jesus came and shed his blood to pay the price for their sins. But now Jesus has died. He's risen again. He's stolen the power of sin and death from hell. And he appears to his closest followers, to his disciples, to give them salvation, to give them the mark of salvation, which is the Holy Spirit living in them. And the way he chooses to do it, again, he could do this any way he wants to. He could breathe on them and say, be saved. He could breathe on them and say, now you're Christians. He, he could touch them and say, now you're mine. He could do this a million different ways. But he chooses, I don't think accidentally, I don't think this is coincident. He chooses to do exactly what his father did. When his father gave the first physical life, he breathed on Adam. And now Jesus comes to give the first spiritual life, the first everlasting life, the first people who could bear the marks of salvation. And what does he do? He breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the seal, the mark, that when my father looks down, he knows you're his because he sees his spirit. What do we know? We know that God's breath is life. It's physical life. It's eternal life. Now we see in John or in 2 Timothy chapter 3:16, it says all scripture is God breathed. What is it saying about the word of God? It's saying that there's life in the word. There's life in this thing. This thing is not dead. This thing is not thousands of years old and applicable to a different generation and a different culture and, and buried in the past. It's not a history book. This book is alive. Hebrews says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Why? Because God's word is his breath, and God's breath is life. Some of you here today, you're saved. You're Christians. The Holy Spirit lives in you, but you need some life. Man, there's some old dreams that have begun to die. There's some old callings that you've begun to move away from. There's just some, some complacency, some mediocrity. You just feel like, man, I'm just sluggish. I, if I'm just being real honest with you guys, this was me this week. I'm the guy who puts the reading plan out last Sunday and tells everybody to start reading the Word of God. And you know how much I didn't want to read the Bible this week? You know how hard, what a struggle it was for me to open the book this week? Man, I just felt dead. Spiritually, I felt no motivation, no desire, just didn't feel connected with the Spirit. But you know what God says about His Word? He says it's life. You need some life today? Can I tell you where to find it? You're not going to find it in me. You're not going to find it in my message. You're not going to find it in a church building. You're not going to find it in, in, in anything but in the Word of God because His breath is life. Now, obviously, 2 Timothy 3.16 is, is declaring more than just that it's God's breath. It's declaring that, that God is the author of Scripture, right? It's declaring that, that all of it comes from him. This is actually confirmed for us in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter 1 says this, says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. So, so the biggest implication of 2 Timothy 3.16 is that this may, was written down by man, but it is not from man. It is from God. God is the author of Scripture. He used people to put it together. But these are his words for you and for me. This is God's letter to us. That's, that's the greatest and most important statement of 2 Timothy 3.16. But again, I don't believe in biblical coincidence. 
I don't believe in biblical accidents. Paul could have said this a million different ways. He could have just declared, God is the author of all scripture. He could have just declared that, that God spoke to men who wrote down the Bible, and so these are God's words. But he didn't put it that way. He phrased it a very specific way, and I believe for a very specific reason. He said that all Scripture is God-breathed. Why? Because there's power in the breath of God. Because there's life in the breath of God. And this is not a dead book. This is a living book. It is a living document that God has breathed all over and says, open this up and I'm going to breathe all over you. My life is going to come out of these pages and into you. So what, what are the implications here? If, if God's breath is life, then first of all, it means that reading God's word, it brings life into me. That when I'm sluggish, when, when I'm mediocre, when I'm not motivated, that even when I don't feel it, because sometimes I open the word and, man, I'm fired up and I can't wait to share with somebody what God just showed me. And, oh, my gosh, that was amazing. That's what I had this morning. I got a revelation. My third point today I got this morning, and it's like the most thing, thing I'm most excited to preach in a long, long, long time. Okay, so sometimes that happens. Most of the time when I open the word of God, I'm like, all right, that was cool. Right? Like, like I know you, maybe you think, hey, you're a pastor. You're supposed to have, like, these amazing God moments every time you open the Bible. I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm not that guy. <laughs> like, sometimes I open the Bible, and it's like, well, I guess I'm glad I read today. Uh, but, but what happens is I'm allowing it to get in me. I'm allowing the life of God to get in me, and God's going to bring it up later on. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but, uh, but it's important. Reading God's word breathes life into me. Because God's breath is life. But number two, not only is God's breath life, God's breath is his spirit. Going back to John chapter 20, we saw Jesus breathe on his disciples. What does it say? Verse 22, it says, with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't say receive salvation. He didn't say receive eternal life. He didn't say receive the mark of a believer. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, when I breathe on you, I'm giving you my spirit. The, the third part of the Trinity, this individual, this part of God is coming to live inside of you. God's word is his spirit. In fact, in the New Testament, it was written in the Greek language primarily. And in Greek, the word for spirit is pneuma. Uh, and that's actually the same word that is used for wind and the same word that is used for breath. We can't separate God's spirit from God's breath. They are one and the same. And, and so a lot of times we have these, these kind of false dichotomies in church, and maybe you don't know what that phrase means. A false dichotomy is when we think that something has to be either one or the other, and it can't be both. And so we create these false dichotomies, and I've been in churches that have done both of these things. I've been in churches that are like, we are all about the word. Man, it is all about the word. The word is all that matters. Sola Scriptura is a phrase that sometimes is used. Man, it's all about the word. All we care about is the word, the word, the word, the word, and the word is really good. Man, the word is awesome. The word is important. We're preaching about the word. If you get anything from this, man, I hope you take the importance of the word of God. But, but then we kind of create this thing where it's just about the word. And then there's these other churches, and I grew up more in these churches than that one, although I did spend some time in one of those. And these other churches are all about the spirit. Man, we're all about the Holy Spirit. We're just going to let the Holy Spirit move. We're going to let the Holy Spirit have his way. And, and I've grown in both of those churches. God's taught me things in both of those churches. I'm not trying to knock either of them. What I am trying to say is not just as a church, but for you as a believer, we are not just believers of the word or just believers of the spirit. We got to be both. Why? Because the spirit and the word work together. 
Man, you want the Holy Spirit to start showing up in your life? You want some power of the Holy Spirit? You want to see God doing supernatural things like he did in Scripture? You know where the, the, the source of that comes from? It comes from the Word. Because God's breath is his Word. God's Spirit is his breath. They are intimately connected. You, you want the Word of God to be life to you? You want the protection of the Word? You want to hide God's Word in your heart so you might not sin against God? What do you need? You need to open your life up to the Holy Spirit. And let God's spirit begin to speak to you. It's not one or the other. It's both. City Church, hear me loud and clear. We are going to be a church of the word, and we are going to be a church of the spirit. We believe in the power of both. We believe in the impact of both. We believe in the significance of both. And we believe that they are intimately tied together. You can't separate them. That's why Jesus, who John chapter 1 verse 1 calls the word, says in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You know what he says to his people, to his disciples in John 14, 26? The word says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. What's the Holy Spirit's job? His job is to remind me of what the word says. That's why it's so important that I get in the word. Because sometimes I'm going to go out in life and I'm going to face a situation and I don't know what's coming. I don't know what phone call I'm going to get. I don't know who's going to be sick. I don't know what, what family's facing death. I don't know what's going to happen in my family. But God does. And so he can prepare me for those things through his word. And if I put this in me, even if I don't read it and say, oh, my gosh, that's amazing, God. Sometimes I read it, I'm like, all right, that's okay. Thank you. I set it aside, and I pray God help show me how to apply this. But once I put it in me, now what have I done? I've given the Holy Spirit ammunition to remind me. What does he do? He reminds me of everything the word said to me. So I got to put it in me so he can remind me of it. That's how it works. The word and the spirit work together. They're not opponents. Man, we, we can't have a church that, man, we're over here and, man, that church is over there. Man, we believe in both the power of the word and the power of the spirit. It's important. So the implication here is that if God's breath is his spirit, then reading God's word breathes his spirit into me. A fresh touch from the Holy Spirit comes when I open the word of God. You want to get more in tune with the Holy Spirit? You want to use your gifts better? To build the kingdom of God, get in the word. Finally, number three, and this is the one that I came here today to tell you about. This is what got me fired up about 4.30 this morning. I felt like God spoke this. Number three, God's word is fresh air. It's fresh air. His breath is fresh air. Let me unpack that for you. Um, we do not serve a God who has bad breath. God, God doesn't have coffee breath. He doesn't have onion breath. He doesn't have, where did I leave my toothbrush breath? Uh, he, right? Like, of course. You're like, I can't even believe you even mentioned the fact that God can have bad breath. We all know that. Nobody would ever think that God has bad breath, but he doesn't. God does not have bad breath. And, and so here's what I want you to see. Here's what I felt like God said this morning. Every single one of us in this room breathes in all kind of spiritual pollution all the time. Man, in our culture, we're breathing in negativity. We're breathing in hate. We're breathing in doubt. We're breathing in fear. We're breathing in sickness and disease. And we're breathing in all this stuff that's not him. We're breathing in impurity. We're breathing in lies. We're breathing in all this stuff spiritually all the time. Have you ever, have you ever gone, gone out in the woods, gone camping, or gone out to the lake? And, and you got out there, and you, actually, and you smelled, and the air just smelled different? And you're like, I didn't even realize that the air back home smelled so bad until I smelled the fresh air. Right? Like until I actually got out in the woods and realized like the way God designed it before we started polluting it, I didn't even realize how bad our air is. But man, when I got out at the lake, oh, what is it? It's, it's invigorating, right? 
It's life-giving. It's, it's energizing. You got a little more energy. You got a little more pep in your step. You're like, man, I should stay out here forever, and we can't because we got jobs, and jobs are in the city, and we got to get back, and there's people there for us to reach and all those things. But you get out in the woods, I don't care. I'm not country at all. But if I go camping, man, I'm like, man, we're going to have to build a cabin. Like, we're going to have to get out of here because it's so nice to get out in the woods. It's life-giving. And then we get home and we're like, man, I didn't even realize how bad it was back here, how, how suffocating the pollution is and the noise and all the junk. I didn't even realize until I got away from it. And then you get back and what happens? You're home for a week and you reacclimate, right? You readjust to the pollution. You readjust to the junk. You, you recenter on it and you forget until the next time you get out in the woods how amazing it is to get out in nature, right? Everybody in here has had this experience at some point in time, right? Here's what I want you to see. Spiritually, we don't even realize how polluted our lives are until we get a whiff of fresh air. We don't even know how off it is. We don't even know how much negativity is all around us. We don't even know how far short we are falling of the call that God has on our life because we're just going around breathing polluted air all the time. But when we open the book and we allow God to breathe his life into us, and we get a whiff of fresh air, all of a sudden we realize, whoa, I've been living down here, and God's calling me to live up here. Man, there's some more energy. There's some more stuff I can do. It's revitalizing. It's invigorating. I got something. I can go out and do something for the kingdom of God. Why? Because God wants us to have some fresh air. He designed us to have some fresh air. And he said, here's where you get the fresh air. Yes, you're going to be surrounded by a culture of negativity. Yes, you're going to be surrounded by a culture of, of racism and hatred and so much junk and so much violence and so much heartbreak. And there's going to be so many things around you. But I don't want you to get caught up in that because I'm going to breathe some fresh air through that junk. And all you got to do is you got to open this book. You got to take advantage of it. And here's the good news. You don't have to have enough money to go rent a cabin in the woods. You don't have to get time off to go find a tent. You don't have to have a friend who's got a boat so you can go get out on the lake. Every single one of us has access to the fresh air spiritually. And we don't have to set aside a weekend to go do it once every six months. He says, I give you fresh air every day. Just open the book. Just open the book and let me start to breathe into your life. And some days, man, you're going to smell it and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I needed that. And some days you're not even going to realize it. And that's okay, because whether you realize it or not, the fresh air is giving you life. It's giving you strength. It's empowering you for everything you're going to face that day. And I think it's time for God's people to get fed up with not having fresh air. I think it's time for God's people to quit settling for the mediocrity, to quit being average like those statistics we saw earlier and saying, well, you know, most people I know don't really read their Bible either, and they're still Christians, and they're still going to heaven. Man, it's time for God's people to get sick of the pollution and say, I'm tapping into fresh air. I'm taking advantage of what God's provided for me. I can't answer for you. I can't decide what you're going to do with your life. But as for me and my house, we're going to open the book. And we're going to breathe the fresh air of God's spirit. We're going to take advantage of the life that God has given us. Praise God. Told you I was fired up today. Picked a good day to come to church in Jesus' name. God's breath is fresh air. And so when I read God's word, he breathes fresh 
heir in to me. So some of us in here, you maybe never opened the Bible in your life. You're like, I don't even know where to start. I'm not coming here today to condemn you or to put you down or to say there's something wrong with you. All I'm saying is you don't know what you're missing out on. You're like a kid that's never been to the lake. You don't even know what can happen when you strap a tube behind that boat. It's crazy. It's awesome. You don't even realize what is available to you. And I'm just inviting you to just take some time and just get some fresh air. To just open the book and begin to see what happens when we get out of the pollution When we get out of all the junk that lingers in our culture, that lingers in our family, that lingers in our conversation, and say, you know what? This isn't who God is. This isn't who God called me to. He's got something better. And so I'm going to step aside from all this junk for a minute, and I'm going to take a whiff of what God has for me. And so he bids you, Christian, today. He invites you. He challenges you. Open the book. Man, if you didn't get a reading plan, don't you dare walk out of this room today without grabbing a reading plan and saying, you know what? I'm finding 10 minutes, 10 minutes a day for the next three weeks, the next two weeks where I can take a big whiff and I can take advantage of the fresh air because here's what I believe. I think if you'll get fresh air for three weeks, you're going to not settle for going back to the pollution. If you can get fresh air for three weeks every day, you're going to say, you know what? I need a whiff of that. I need a dose. I don't need my pastor to have to tell me what, what passages to read all the time. I'm going to find something. I'm going to find a reading plan. I'm going to get in the word for myself. So if you will take it for 21 days, science says 21 days builds a habit. Maybe you missed the first week. That's all right. Just start on it today. 21 days. Breathe the fresh air and watch what God does as he begins to breathe his life, his spirit, his fresh air into you through his word. Amen. Let's pray.